Welcome to the Ponder, a new podcast. I'm pondering many things today. It's me, Pastor Rob. And one of the things I'm pondering is that it's been three years since the pandemic lockdowns began here, March 2020. Now it's March 2023. And so today we have a story about healing and what healing looks like and and uh, Jesus' encounter with a, with a man um, and, and uh, Jesus getting down in the dirt to to give him a new life, and, and the fact that we as humans often, so often, are, are blind to God's goodness, and we need to have our eyes open to God's work in our lives, um, yet not just in the good things, but the ways in which God can be at work, even in the, the tough and dirty and muddy spots of our lives, too. So let's get pondering uh, healing and uh, goodness and blindness and, uh, yeah, all of that kind of stuff. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. Who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus has asked a tricky theological question, invited into a debate, as it were, and he totally sidesteps it. Jesus doesn't want this day to talk about sin and punishment, but rather wants to focus on God's glory. This is why he says this person was born blind. And so while it could make a very fascinating podcast on sin and punishment in this world, or in the next. Uh, instead, I'm going to do what Jesus does and focus on on God's uh, glory at work in a situation, even hard situations. And as humans, there's a necessary way in which our brains are wired for critical analysis to figure out blame. I mean, we're hungry for justice, and we're also hungry for our and our species survival to kind of know why things happened and to be able to sort it out so it doesn't happen again. But I think those tendencies uh, in today's world where we're often in media echo chambers where we don't actually get new facts but just sort of have our prejudices and presuppositions reinforced uh, or uh, where we're just kind of being sold uh, negativity because the media realizes that's what sells more than positivity, 
I know that the Twitter bots, you know, know that that, that kind of stuff spreads faster and so forth. Then we end up um, having this sort of helpful biological instinct that is a little bit stronger in some of us than others anyway, just kind of amplified and, and abused and becoming sort of a devil's uh, sort of tool there uh, to our own and others uh, sort of uh, destruction perhaps is a bit strong of a word. But yeah, so um, so yeah, I'm sure you've seen that at, at work in your life where sort of that, that fixation on blame kind of uh, keeps up. But instead, Jesus invites us to, to reflect on and have our eyes open to God's goodness. I know that a, a really powerful way uh, for, for me that I've discovered to pray is simply to, uh, at the end of the day, or write down one or more things that I'm grateful for. Um, and, and oftentimes they're not even things that I did. They're really things that I say, wow, you know, this was just a gift, a, a real gift uh, from God that, you know, somebody gave me a call or something worked out. And I, um, and when I do that, it, it sort of then, it changes my perspective. It like opens up my eyes and I start then looking for where, you know, where was God's grace at work in my life? And I don't, I can't, you know, fully understand the inscrutable will of God. I mean, I don't know why all things happen. And I'm sure I'm wrong about a lot of it, but but it's amazing how taking time to praise God and to give God thanks, um, it, it helps us understand what's happening in our life. It makes us feel better, and it begins to draw us closer to God in a way where we experience a peace, love, and joy um, that assessing blame rarely ever uh, provides for us. And I'm thinking a lot about that um, this week, because this week for many on the East Coast of the United States marks the three-year anniversary of lockdowns. And that was certainly a really hard time, but three years later, what I find fascinating is that the the stories are still about to whom we ascribe blame. Uh, you know, was it the Chinese uh, government? Was it the Chinese laboratory? Was it the... Um, you know, CDC, was it the American government? Was it uh, various officials? Was it the American Republicans? Was it American Democrats? The, you know, sort of, the, again, the, the, blame, the blame and shame game is just so rampant. We're analyzing and who did it and who sinned that, you know, we should have had this pandemic. But what if the question instead is, well, nobody sinned, but God's glory is at work here. And I want to be careful here because I don't want to minimize the suffering that anybody had in the last three years, um, but I and but I want to just say, what if you ask yourself, you know, what what in your life has has changed in the last three years in in some ways that uh, maybe were hard, but there were some certain healing, some certain clarity, um, some some perhaps newness, some reconciliation. For my church council, I made a, a little flip chart, folded a piece of paper in half, hot dog style. And there were sort of four segments, sort of four sort of um, pieces of sort of uh, yeah, little sort of squares then that you could lift up. And on the top of the paper, it said um, then, and I sort of had four segments of ministry in our church worship and, and faith formation and so forth. And I talked about what was life like for us at our church in 2020. And then when you flipped open the page, underneath was what it was like now. And it's just kind of cool for us to see, sort of area by area of ministry, how much things have changed, and really, I think, changed in some really um, beautiful ways. And so this isn't to deny the 
the mistakes, the heartache, the challenges, um, the deaths uh, that we experienced as a church. But to acknowledge that even in situations where there's death, there's still resurrection. And in situations where there's grief, there's still uh, hope. And, and even in situations where there's, yeah, sorrow, there's still a new song of, of God's creation that's being sung. And uh, so this might be something fascinating for you to do in where you work, a group you're a part of, or just even your life and look at different facets and, you know, maybe even make like a flip book of like then and now and think about how God has really been at work in your life, bringing about some healing and, uh, yeah, a new life. And even some of those situations where there was real difficulty before, um, maybe now partnered with that, there's, uh, yeah, again, you know, out of a, a job transition that was really hard, maybe now there's some real fruit that's uh, or some seeds that are starting to bear fruit. So again, there's plenty of room in the human story for a sort of analysis of, of blame and our quest for justice and to avoid calamity. But I, Jesus today, I think, is inviting us to have our eyes open to God's goodness and uh, where we need to be giving God glory in our lives. Jesus is talking about seeing all of this because, as he declares, he is the light of the world. And when I hear Jesus make such a declaration, I am the light of the world, uh, I, I think of um, almost like a superhero Jesus, something not quite like Buddy Jesus from Dogma, uh, the movie, but a very kind of, again, triumphal, uh, conquering, all-knowing, all-powerful Jesus. And what's so striking then is that the very next thing that Jesus does after he says, I'm the light of the world, is that he spits into the ground, <laughs> puts his hand in it, and then sticks his hand with the mud on it into the person's eyes. <laughs> wow. Sometimes in the Gospel of, of John, people assume that it's Jesus sort of soaring above the reality that the rest of us live in. And in fact, the middle-aged kind of symbol for the Gospel of John was the eagle because John and, and John's Gospel kind of soared above the rest. And and there is a way in which Jesus in the Gospel of John is doing and saying some things that just seem, yeah, just so divine. Yet, such a very down-to-earth and human God that we meet in Jesus. And this is consistent with the Old Testament of a God who in the story of uh, Genesis uh, wrestles, and the word for wrestle in Hebrew is get dusty, gets dusty with Jacob or even Jesus in, in, later on in the Gospel of John, where he'll um, take the towel in the basin and he'll begin to wash his disciples' dirty feet. Uh, so Jesus may be the light of the world who transcends all uh, sort of earthly limitations, but he's also willing and not afraid to get down and dirty with us. And, and I want to reflect on what it might look like in your and my life for Jesus to um, stick mud in our eyes. <laughs> because I, I wonder if this is actually where Jesus and something similar in, encounters us. And the questions of the, the Pharisees in the beginning, you know, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind, indicate that the eyes for this person have been a source of shame. 
Uh, they've been a physical handicap, obviously, but they've also been a source of shame and embarrassment for the family and for him. Um, they had catastrophic I- impacts on his life. I mean, he was a beggar. And, and so this, this place, his eyes really sort of, and they say the eyes are a window into the soul, but in, in this case, I mean, this is really a very, very vulnerable part uh, and also a part of, of shame in his life. And I think the reality is that there's a lot of parts of our lives where we experience shame, uh, times of, of failure, uh, parts of addiction, or even just parts of our body. And one thing that I've, I've observed about my dog is that my dog uh, or the, the family's dog can experience shame. Like, it, you know, kind of, um, you know, maybe it chewed on something that it shouldn't have and you could kind of tell it felt kind of bad, its tail and its head and all. And so, so my dog can experience shame. But my dog experiences absolutely no shame about his body. <laughs> there, there is, there is uh, no, no, uh, the dog does not walk by the mirror or, you know, look at, look at any part of his body and be like, oh man, you know, I've really, really let myself go. We, uh, we had this, uh, this raincoat for our dog that really fit nicely, uh, this kind of fun, bright colored raincoat before COVID. And well, the dog got a little bit older and <laughs> put it on it was really, really tight, you know, and all of a Emily and I are kind of giggling at how tight it is, but our dog doesn't know and doesn't care. So, so humans, I think, are alone among all animals that actually experience shame um, over their own bodies. Um, but, but it's also to say that this, this person experiences shame uh, literally over something in their body. And I, I think for all of us, um, again, we experience shame in a variety of ways physical, emotional, uh, spiritual um, places in our lives where we just um, have felt like we failed, others have criticized us, others have called us a sinner in this particular aspect of our life, areas of abuse, addiction, and so forth. And, and what I want to suggest is that those might actually be some of the places in your life where you've encountered Jesus. So often we think that we have to um, make ourselves worthy of, of God or Jesus before we're able to partake in, in communion with uh, Jesus. But Luther has this great saying, you know, who's, who's the one that's worthy, the one that understands given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sin? In other words, the one who gets it that we need God is the one who's worthy, <laughs> Um, and, and I think there's a, but again, there's such a sense in, in um, our own sort of, um, yeah, way the world works, that we're going to find God in, in glory and in goodness, which we do. And that was what the first part of the podcast was about. But I think there's a way in which we um, often discover that God has interacted with us on, on parts of our life um, that were were real tender spots, were, were spots that were in, in many ways uh, handicaps, where, where there was limitation, where there was uh, shame and embarrassment, and, and yet we discovered that God was uh, sticking his, his muddy hands uh, in, in those spots to bring us healing and wholeness.
And to go back to the exercise about thankfulness. What we often discover is that when we begin to sort of just list some things that are, you know, good in the day, of course, hopefully some, you know, really beautiful moments come up. But when we start to do that, we start to see that oftentimes those beautiful moments were actually times that began with vulnerability, that began in times of need or hurt or want, and then God was doing something out of it. And then we can begin to connect the sort of the, the blindness with the sight, with the hard times, with the beautiful times, with sin and forgiveness, death and resurrection. After Jesus sticks his muddy fingers in the man's eyes, Jesus tells the man that he needs to go to the pool of Siloam. And Siloam uh, means scent. So he's supposed to go to the pool of scent, which is kind of funny. And, and John doesn't want to let this be lost on us. So what's, what's going on here? Well, perhaps uh, Jesus just knows that we need to um, sort of have some skin in the game with our healings. Um, or, or maybe Jesus is recalling the story of, um, of Naaman in the Old Testament where Naaman felt like the cure was too simple, that he again needed, needed something. Um, but, I, but I wonder um, if there's two other things going on here. And, and, I, and I wonder if in order for us to be healed, we have to be sent. Uh, what I mean is that we can't actually stay where we are and experience healing. That something has to change. Uh, the people, place, and things in our life uh, have to change in order for us to have our eyes open. That we, we cannot stay where we are uh, in the same sort of toxic environment, in the same position, in, in similar relationships and expect there to be new life. Again, if new life um, isn't simply an inner spiritual state, but, but requires actually some sort of physical changes. Again, the God in the Gospel of John is the God of the New Testament, is not a Gnostic God that is left behind the body. But this is an embodied God in Jesus. And so I wonder if there's just a, a reality that, again, healing isn't simply an inner state, um, or even just something in, that happens to our body, but really requires sort of some sort of movement and, and participation by us, a, a change in, in somehow our physical location. The other thing that I, that I wonder about is if this is a, a poetic acknowledgement of baptism. And um, be, because Jesus is sent to the waters to be healed. And, and throughout the Gospel of John, there's been this motif of water, right? John chapter 3, you have to be born of water and the Spirit. Um, and, and you just kind of, uh, and the, the woman at the well drawing the water from the well. And then uh, Jesus before that, and in the, the, when, he was he, when he turned the water into wine. Again, and even in chapter 5, which we didn't look at, Jesus heals a man uh, who's by the waters. And so, so water sort of permeates the Gospel of, of John. And you can't help again but wonder if, if there's this play on baptism, that the baptism becomes a place of our healing, but it's also a place of being sent. Because the, the person, the next thing the person is going to do is they're going to go to the temple, and there they're going to be confronted 
Um, and they're going to sort of now have to live out this new sort of changed life. That to be um, a disciple of Jesus, to be one who is healed by Jesus, is never something that just happens for our sake alone, but is something that um, is something that is done for a purpose. Is something that is done to free us, to mobilize us, to leave sort of our current sort of toxic environment, and and to be sent sent as an agent of one who now speaks the truth in love of, of Jesus Christ. Well, that's, uh, that's probably enough uh, to ponder. I mean, maybe go a little bit deeper there and just ask, you know, how has baptism or thinking about baptism, your own baptism, or just uh, seeing baptismal fonts in church, how is that uh, a place of reflection for you on, on change, on being sent, on being healed in, in your life? Um, and, um, yeah, so that's just maybe something to, to ponder for you, but Jesus is the light of the world, the light of the world who, uh, sticks mud in our eyes that we might be moved, that we might see anew, see what God is doing in our lives. So my hope is that this podcast today allows you to ponder anew where, where Jesus might be encountering you and how that encounter might be one that's opening your eyes to, to God's grace at work in the, the vulnerable spots um, through, through the mud and in the waters of baptism.